Narrative formulas can be deeply satisfying when executed well, and none more so than that of the cozy mystery. That's from Judy Berman of Time Magazine, talking about only murders in the building. Season 2 is our new review this week. As far as our old, we're going way back, 1958, The Long Hot Summer, continuing my infatuation with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, one of the films that Ethan Hawke profiled in his outstanding documentary, The Last Movie Stars, and also stars none other than Orson Welles. And the goodbye girl, Richard Dreyfuss, won an Academy Award. At the time, he was the youngest Oscar winner ever for Best Actor. I believe he was 30 years of age when he won for the goodbye girl, Neil Simon's play. I also watched that. Uh, we'll knock that out. Wild card this week is Best Beach Movies because the summer is winding down. Of course, where Cody is in South Florida, it's always beach time. But for us... Uh, here in the East Coast, you got like a week left here on the beach. You're cramming it in here. So best beach movies, we'll go through just a few of those. Uh, oftentimes, I just steamroll ahead. So I want to take a look back and just point out the fact, uh, back-to-back weeks of authors, just a- another week, another author. We had Cal Penn, we had Meg Gardner. Question you, Chris Cody, is anyone doing more for literacy in this country than me? What do you mean a, a, a Cal Penn's an author? I mean, he's kind of an author. He's an actor. That's an A. Like, I don't say it, maybe not A-list, but that don't don't just call <laughs> Cal Penn an author. That is disrespectful. I like the fact you're trying to give him props. You're like, well, I mean, he's I mean, he's not just he's not an A-list guy, but he was here promoting a book. If he wasn't promoting a book, he wouldn't have done it. That's fair. <laughs> You say that I, I, I just want to be honest on the upfront on this. I didn't yeah. watch any of the stuff that we're talking about today because yeah. I am so knee deep in fantasy football stuff right now. It's just it's all I'm thinking about. It's all yeah. I'm talking about. It's I, I don't have time for movies this week. This should be a fantasy football podcast this week, if I'm being honest. That's a totally fair excuse. I just, I'm all about honesty, right? If you just said to me, oh, I had a few things come up with the kid. I'm like, no, no don't give me the B. I just said it's no. fantasy football time. Like, I got it. How many pools are you in for fantasy football? I have, I had a, my first draft. I'm in, I'm only, I'm downsizing this year, actually. I will be in three leagues when it's all said and done this year. It's a lot of work, though. I mean, I, that's why I never do it. People are like, oh, wait, how's your you fantasy? You never do I go, fantasy? I go, no way. It's so much work. I go, I got four kids. There's no way. I go, the amount of work you guys do, day of, roster moves, transactions, potential trades, way too much stress. It's really just it. like you need to dedicate like a half hour on like a Thursday <sighs> or Wednesday. I think that's it's really more what than it that. Is. I, the guys I mean, who are great yeah, at it are unbelievable. Be, yeah. If you're gonna be like absurdly like, but yeah, yeah, you can you can you can scan a waiver wire, fill up your rosters, make all the changes needed, take out bye week guys. You can. I mean, I'm just saying that's a minimum effort. You can do it with a half hour. I'm with you. Most people like me, like like the la- yeah. I, my wife's trying to talk to me the last few days, and I'm like, what? I'm sorry, Christian McCaffrey. What'd you say? Oh, sorry, Christine. <laughs> that's your name. Sorry, I'm sorry. I called my wife Christian McCaffrey the other night. But, and by the way, Cody has outkicked his coverage. We've discussed this before on the podcast. Go check out Christine, who is more attractive than Chris. Empirically, <laughs> it's it's kind of like the Lyle Lovett, Julia Roberts, or Pete Davidson, Kim Kardashian. Are we all outkicking our coverage? I mean, look at all of us. I just mean us men in general, right? No, I, mean, I agree. Generally, we outkick our coverage. Yeah, I mean, that's why it was one of the great Kirby Enthusiasm episodes ever. If a guy is with a woman who is less attractive than him, he refers to him as a man of integrity. So Larry's willing to do business with that guy because when he meets his wife, it's Ada Totoro, of course, Janice from The Sopranos. She comes in, he's like, he's like that's your wife? And he's like, yeah, the guy's like a decent looking guy. He's like, guys, you know what? I like you. I, I respect your business. I'm like, Later, he meets this guy who's goofy looking, like goofy looking, ugly guy, nose. Wife comes in smoking. He goes, that's your Skeptical. wife? Yeah, he goes, I-, I can't do business with you. He's like, he goes, if that's if that's a jerk, no, I can't. Like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, your wife's gorgeous. He's like, yeah, that's, thanks so much. That shows that he has charisma, a good personality. 
can it maybe probably has a good sense of humor. Right. There's a lot to look in a guy that that's got a good looking wife. It's such a great expression, man of integrity. Anyways, there are there are women of integrity. More to Chris's point, there's a lot of women who are stuck with guys who are a bunch of schmoes like us. So thanks to all them. All right, uh, fantasy football. That's where Chris is right now. I also wanted to mention that the Jack Nicholson retrospective. Getting a lot of good feedback on that. I appreciate people really enjoyed uh, the look back at one floor of the cuckoo's nest. My buddy Alpha Hill one also always thinks of Barney when he sees Chief. Uh, but the last detail is a great film. I hope people check out some of those films available. Once again, HBO Max and TCM. In honor of that Nicholson look back, I'm going to do a William Hurt retro next week. A couple of movies we'll do for old next week. The Big Chill next week is the 40th anniversary of that film and broadcast news. If you work in the media like me and Chris, I'm sure you have an interesting perspective on that movie. 35th anniversary of broadcast news. Albert Brooks was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He's unbelievable in that movie. So next week, a couple of William Hurt movies for you. And still feedback coming in as to me walking on Route 17. Uh, the best <laughs> comment from Tom Monfiletto who messaged me goes, I love the fact you were referred to it as a walkway when it's the shoulder. <laughs> that, that, that is not a walkway. That is the shoulder you pull off when you have an issue with your car, you're low on gas, your kidneys to get buckled in a car seat. It's not meant for walking. This has never been a walkway. Cop pulls over and, and you're like, uh, what? Yeah, just uh, cars a couple miles back. What's wrong? Nothing to see here. What's, what's the issue? Could you empty your pockets, sir? Yeah, there's a half-eaten muffin. Really? You, you think I'm carrying a knife at 9 a.m.? Just riding in the back of a cop car. I still, I never want to go through that again. That's one reason. I think, that's, what, that's what it was. God gave me that sign. I'm like, hey, don't ever be in a situation like this where you actually are arrested. I'm like, all right, good enough. Um, I want to do off the top here for the open five Five for fall, because fall movies are coming, and we know that summer movies are coming to an end. And here's five films right out, right out of the gate that I'm excited to see. And um, these are actually all premiering at the Venice Film Festival. So I look forward to seeing what kind of deals they get, who's going to be distributing them, etc. The number one film that I'm really excited to watch right now is called The Whale. By the way, Billy Gill is coming up. Billy's going to join us, of course, from the Levitard Show. He's going to talk only murders in the building here momentarily. Before we get to Billy, though, five for fall, The Whale. Darren Aronofsky directing Samuel D. Hunter's adaptation of his profoundly affecting 2012 play about empathy, despair, and redemption centered on a morbidly obese teacher, Brendan Fraser, unable to leave his shabby Idaho apartment and the unanswered questions about the death of his male partner. Have you heard about was, the whale? Chris? I thought it was Dan's story. Oh, jeez. What a horrible thing to say. But um, bum Have you heard about the whale yet, I, Cody? I, I, no? I've read, I read an you, article yes. about Brendan Fraser. Literally, there's no fat suit here. Yeah, I think you guys talked about him on the show, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He put in like 100 pounds, though. Like, it's, it's jarring when you see him. But I cannot wait for this movie. Aronofsky is very hit and miss. When he's hit, it's Requiem for a Dream. When it's miss, it's Mother, which is one of the worst movies I've seen in the last 10 years. I can't believe I sat in the theater and watched that. With Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, atrocious. Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> but when he's great, he's like the wrestler. Like, Aronofsky gives it to you when he gives it to you. So hopefully The Whale is going to be outstanding. I look forward to that movie. Is that the director who has the most range? Like, uh, like most great directors, you don't like think they're like capable of a clunker, right? Or yeah. Maybe they all are. Are all directors capable of a clunker? Or is this the guy that's like, it's either hit or miss? No, you're right. Generally, they're capable of a clunker, but even their bad movie has some merit to it, right? Like even a Scorsese Color of Money, it's not very good, but you're like, well, I could see some moments to it. Even a Tarantino um, you know, right. death proof. You're like, oh, it's, it's not bad. There's still some moments. But to really be like, hey, either it was outstanding or it was dog shit. Yeah. That is pretty tough to do. And Aronofsky can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Good on him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Master Gardener, I can't wait. Paul Schrader is back. 22nd directorial feature. He's actually being given the Golden Lion Lifetime Achievement Award this year at the Venice Film Festival. This one is starring Joel Edgerton and Sigourney Weaver. Uh, the story doesn't sound great, I'll be honest. It's about a meticulous horticulturist of Gracewood <laughs> Gardens, a historic estate owned by wealthy Dowager Mrs. Haverhill, that's Sigourney Weaver. Mrs. Haverhill demands that Roth, that's Joel Edgerton, take on her wayward great niece Maya as a new apprentice. Chaos enters 
his Spartan existence, unlocking dark secrets from a buried violent past. Mmm, right up my alley. Cannot wait for that, Master Gardener. How about the Banshees of Inna Sharon? If you remember the great, great film, Three Billboards, outside Ebbing, Missouri. That was from Martin McDonough. He's back. This is a, a third part of a stage trilogy that was never produced. It's about the lifelong friendship of two men abruptly severed with dark consequences. Uh, it stars Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. You remember, hey, those two guys, they were great in Martin McDonough's film In Bruges. So maybe it's almost like a sequel of sorts to In Bruges. That's the Banshees of Inna Sharon. I'm also looking forward to No Bears, which is the latest drama from the Iranian master Jafar Panahi. He's also made Taxi, Offside, and The Circle. And one more for you, Oliver Stone. You go, what happened to Oliver Stone? He doesn't make movies anymore, does he? He does. He just makes a lot of documentaries. This documentary is called Nuclear, and it's an impassioned argument in favor of nuclear energy as a solution to the climate crisis. So interesting stuff there from Oliver Stone. There's five for fall. The Whale, Master Gardener, Banshees of Inner Sharon, No Bears, and Nuclear. Also, Bardo, I should add as an extra one there, Alejandro Inarritu, his first Mexican feature since Amaros Peros, which is back in 2000. Of course, he's the director of Birdman. Now it's time. To, I don't know if he's a bird kind of guy, but we'll talk to our man, Billy Gill, next. Right on cue. Billy's in the building. Let's go. Hello. How are you, buddy? Good to see you. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, Billy. Good to be with you, man. You too. Are you still in a fake feud with Aaron Boone? That's my first question, too. Fake feud? <laughs> you must be so... The Yanks having a shit August. You're like, yeah, I love this. Mm-hmm. Hot seat. <laughs> Hot seat. A shoggist. All right, anyways, yeah. keep going. <laughs> Joining us now is Billy Gill. Uh, Billy, of course, does a fantastic job in the Levitard show. He, like me, is a huge baseball fan. So before we get to Only Murders in the Building, which he and I both watched, season two just wrapped up, I do want to ask you about your beloved Marlins, specifically Sandy Alcantara. When you're a fan of a team that isn't very good, but there's one Whoa. ace pitcher that's going to win the Cy Young, what does that feel like? I mean, it's it's exciting, right? Because the Marlins have never had anyone win the Cy Young. They had Giancarlo Stanton. I don't know why I said it that way. They had Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> win the MVP, and then they traded him in the offseason. So like we couldn't even and celebrate like the MVP presentation or anything yeah. like that. He came back as the Yankee as a Yankee, and I think that they may have done something for him when he came back. But the Marlins have never had a Cy Young. Dontra Willis almost won the Cy Young, I think, in like two thousand and five or something. Carpenter right? won it, right? That damn Carpenter don't yeah. get started on him, Chris Carpenter. I remember <laughs> last game of the season they sent Dontra out there. I think he like. I think he he injured himself running the bases or something. I remember giving him a standing ovation. It was incredible. <laughs> Loved Dontra Willis. I thought it was a crime that he didn't win the Cy Young. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that Sandy wins the Cy Young. It seems like he will, right? Because we're past the days of the fact that he doesn't have the Tony Gonsolin like 17 wins or whatever it is that he has now on a ridiculous Dodgers team. By the way, I think that the part that kind of bums me out about this, right? is that he's so great. He's been so dominant this season, and it really just feels like a waste of his abilities. I I know that sounds horrible to say as like a Marlins fan, but you see the pitching staff that they have and their offense has been so dreadful that you're like, man, we could just never get it all right at the same time. Like they have these pitchers, they have depth, and it's like, this is all wasted because they can't score any runs and they can't do anything. And poor Sandy, I mean, He's pitching all these complete games, but it's also out of necessity. Right. Because if he doesn't finish off these games, then there's the likelihood that they blow these games. Well, that was why the last start, like they had runners on in the ninth. You go, this is when you pull the guy. Base like, no, no, is we, loaded. Base is loaded. Up one. Guy has over 110 pitches and he's still in there because he's like, I'm I'm either winning this or losing this. Yeah. 
He is the best option we have. It feels like you're watching 80s baseball again. It's just crazy to be able to watch. He's such a throwback. We'd also talked with the captain, Billy, me and Chris, and we both panned it. We basically said, I, listen, I, I deeply respect and admire you. Obviously, the guy's an incredible player. As Kevin Millar said the other day, he's the kind of guy you'd want your daughter to marry. Both of you guys with daughters, you can appreciate that. But as an interview subject, he just couldn't have been more vanilla, more generic, nothing new, nothing exciting about him. The stuff about the Marlins, though, did you, did you gleam any insights from the last episode where he basically, I think, through a veiled word says, hey, I, I, I tore it down, we rebuilt, and then I thought we are going to go for it, and when they didn't, I said, I'm out. What did you take from that? So I haven't seen it. I was, I'm actually glad that you have, because everyone that I've asked about, I was like, nah, I haven't watched it. And I have a subscription to ESPN+, Plus, but I haven't watched it yet, because everyone on the front end has kind of said like what you're saying, like, yeah, eh, he's just kind of very vanilla. But, yeah. like, people thought that about Jordan, right? And I really liked The Last Dance. I know a lot of people did not like The Last Dance. Like, oh, this is just being viewed through Jordan's prism. And that's what people were saying about the captain, too, is like, well, this is kind of going to be a, a whitewashing of what's happened over time. And it's just going to be Derek Jeter's version of reality. You know, the thing about Jeter is I, I've been painted uh, as a very anti-Jeter person, right? Because I was not super on board when he bought the team for the sole reason of the whole idea was, well, he's always been a winner, so he's going to be a winner. And I was kind of like, but he's never done this before. Like, no offense. <laughs> he has no idea what he's doing. He's never run a team before. He's never been a team owner. Like, he doesn't have a magic wand that's just going to turn things around. And the first thing that he does is he gets rid of all of the all-stars that they yeah. have. Um, and, mo and most of those trades haven't worked out. But the only one that's really worked out is Marcelo Zuna, who yeah. indirectly led to both Sandy Alcantara and Jazz Chisholm because some of the pieces that they got back in that trade, they then later yeah. traded to the Diamondbacks to get Jazz. So that's really was my beef with Derek Jeter from the beginning. Now, I, I know people that have interacted with him and say he's a very lovely guy in real life. He seems very down as down to earth, I guess, as you can be when you're Derek Jeter, right? Because you live in this world that yeah. is not a normal world. Uh, but yeah, like, that's the disappointing thing. Like, I, I wanted it to work out while criticizing him. I always want it to work out while crapping on the Marlins and complaining about them. Like, I am a fan of theirs, so I do want all these things to work out, which is why I get mad when they don't work out and why I get so passionate and angry towards everyone. Don Mattingly is another one. We don't need to start on him today. <laughs> Seems like he may be on his way out of town, which, I think by the way, is. good riddance. I'm tired of him. <laughs> I, I think the days are never for Donnie. Is Dembo still around? Thing. Dembo is the guy that... That's why I was excited. Gary Dembo. Jeter brought Gary Dembo. That's why I yes. was buying in early. John Heyman, by the way, MLB Network Insider, makes his home in Miami. He, he's always telling me, oh, the, the pitchers they have, there's like eight different pitchers. And to your point, I'm like, that sounds great, but I, I, not everyone's going to be Sandy Alcantara. Maybe two or three are going to hit, but two or three are not going to. So we have to see what happens. And I, I love Sixto Sanchez. He goes, well, he's like the number six. That can't stay there. healthy. That's the craziest thing about Sixto is I, I honestly wonder, have we seen Sixto pitch for the Marlins for the last time? Because he keeps getting injured and you wonder... With the depth that they have, is he going to make it back up? Or at some point, are they going to toss him in on a deal for someone else? Every report you see on him is like, oh, he's throwing for the first time in 60 days, and his arm was sore. It's like every yeah. time he tries throwing again, his arm hurts. You know the one I hate, Adnan, as a baseball person? The one where they're like, oh, well, Sixto Sanchez is throwing from 100 feet. It's like, can we just focus on 60 feet, 6 inches? Like, enough with the 100 feet long toss. Let's just get him on the mound and throw 60 feet, okay? We don't need the extra 40. We're pitchers good. love the long toss. I remember back in the high school days, man, these pitchers would be throwing from like foul pole to foul pole it's like why are like i get it arm strength but it's insane yeah.
Just get on the bump I, I, every fifth day and we're good. I hate the update on the weighted ball. I'm like, well, the actual ball he's throwing isn't weighted, so I don't care if this ball's weighted. If he's building strength, I don't care. Let's get to only murders in the building. Three strangers who share an obsession with true crime suddenly find themselves caught up in one. Creators John Hoffman and co-created by the great Steve Martin. Second season just wrapped up on Hulu. Here's what's great about it, Billy, and then we'll get to the criticisms of it. Here's what's great about it, though. Steve Martin and Martin Short. I mean, their chemistry, this duo, you cannot beat them. Uh, they're just so charming and so funny and so witty and I just particularly I mean Steve Martin's a very sharp intellectual smart guy but Martin Short I just think he's He's irresistible. He Play, steals the a show. Theater director. He does, right? He's the best. He's incredible. Martin Short is my favorite. And this is going to sound weird. Martin Short is my favorite part of visiting Epcot Center in Orlando at part of <laughs> Disney World. the Canada Pavilion. Because yes. in the Canada Pavilion, you go on and it's like at the time it was probably cutting edge technology where it's 360 degrees of screens going around and Martin Short's walking you through Canada and all its <laughs> great sights and sounds. And I always, when we go in, I usually will go in reverse. Some people will start in Mexico and go all the way around no, to Canada no. and then be on their way out. I always start in Canada because that's not the way the crowd goes. So it's usually less foot traffic, right? Yeah. Martin Short always have to go in. It's a great like 30 minute show where you I don't know this show. What is this show? Oh, it's awesome. It's right by like there's a Canadian steakhouse. This one you go in, you have to go in like past these fake waterfalls and all these things. Honestly, you'll probably think it's very boring. Everyone that I go with finds it extremely boring and they're like, why are we doing this? This is a waste of half an hour. Honestly, on a hot day, it's a good relief in the middle of the day because you get some AST for about 45 minutes when you wait in the line. But I, there's just Martin Short just has this charm about him. And I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. But he's just very comforting. He puts a smile on my face anytime I see him do anything. Do you remember Jiminy Glick? I was about to say, Jiminy Glick, he was the best at making these like scathing insults, but doing it with a smile on his face. Yeah. Like when he had Spielberg on, he's like, so when are you going to make the big one? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And not many people can have that kind of charm to say. Like, mean, you see him on talk shows? Martin Short's incredible on talk shows. Mm -hmm. Him and Steve Martin, like, they, they prepare weeks in advance for like their 10 minutes in Jimmy Kimmel. And he, so seem, he seems to have endless energy, too. I mean, he must be nearing 75 years years old and he he's just with it man he's sharp he's quick he's bouncing around the screen the whole time he's incredible yeah i completely agree and steve martin by the way he just turned 75 yeah. he's on the cover of the hollywood reporter he says he wants to stop he wants to slow down but another season of only murders in the buildings and a documentary coming out new book coming out they can't stop steve martin here's the also. biggest problem with the show though yeah here's the biggest problem selena gomez wow and, and i and i knew it when I, when I read the article i knew exactly what it was originally it was supposed to be three old guys all right, let's get Selena Gomez in there instead. Let's let's kind of you know appeal to a different demographic, which I get it. Who wants to see what three old guys find becomes grumpy old men? But I just find her acting so flat. She's just her voice. I find grating, mm. and it's just one note. She just gives a one note performance. I just it's really distracting to me. Who was you're, supposed you're a fan of hers? Who was supposed to be the third? Do you know? No, I don't know. Steve Martin said originally it was going to be, they pitched it as three guys. Or blah, blah, blah. They go, how about, how about we replace the guy get like a young, pretty girl? I mean, uh, okay, we'll get Selena Gomez. I, li I like that she's in there as like the younger person because uh, like you're saying, it reaches a different demographic. And also, right. I, I don't know many 75-year-olds who are listening to podcasts, right? And like that just could be me. But then it's kind of like, okay, so like this is somewhat believable. You have this young person who's in on this murder podcast. And then there's these two guys that are also kind of in it. I mean, I guess because they're like, in show business in a sense because of the first season they were on you know the outskirts of show business right you had brazos who was a hit back you know what 40 years ago that came back then you had uh martin short who's a director who's one big you know play and chance became a flop because spoiler alert he had a diving scene and the divers all missed the pool and were landing on the ground and almost died <laughs> 
So you had them kind of like on the outskirts of celebrity and, and you know, because they're in show business, maybe they're into podcasts or whatever, but normally it wouldn't make a ton of sense. You know what my problem was? Did you, you've watched both seasons, I'm assuming, right? I have, yeah. Did you? I thought you thought it was going to be Tina Fey. Go ahead. No, well, my problem was more so, I really liked season one. Season two, when we started with Amy Schumer being Amy Schumer and you had Cara Delevingne in there, kind of being Cara Delevingne, but not really being her, I was like, this is one of those things where this was too much of a hit the first season, and now there's just kind of celebrities. You have Rappaport in there now. There was too yeah, many Rappaport. known people at the beginning of the second season. And the Amy Schumer thing, I don't. I, it's intentional, obviously, and I wonder if she's going to kind of come back in the third season. But she came in and was just like, hey, I'm Amy Schumer. I want to buy your podcast, whatever. And I was like, are we going to do a whole season of Amy Schumer playing Amy Schumer? Because you had Sting the first season kind of play that yeah. role. But Sting at some point was like, a murder suspect and he kind of played more of a part in the thing amy schumer kind of just went away and we didn't hear from amy schumer again which i was wondering if in the last episode is amy schumer going to have something to do with what went on because we saw her in that storyline just kind of died here but that's a great point My, when these shows get too big they start to use their clout because steve martin martin show they know people make a phone mm -hmm. call let's get amy schumer let's get tina Fey, whatever i'm like then it, it feels forced although rapaport had one of the best lines the entire series when he's talking to him, he says we've got more anonymous tips than a glory hole at grand central station <laughs> <laughs> It's always something with you, Adnan. It's you not dogs, it's glory holes. What do you mean by that? Something. <laughs> I'm, wor I'm a little worried about season three, I'm not going to lie, because, spoiler alert, right. if you haven't seen the season finale yet, I'm, you've probably seen the news, Paul Rudd has signed on to be part of season, yes. part of the season three cast. So that kind of has the same Amy Schumer feel to it, which is like, are we just reaching for another big name? But... Paul Rudd, as you see, is going to be a key figure in the next season. So it seems like he's going to be around more than just one episode. Here's my problem. I, I, but to your point, though, I think it's okay to have star power, but it, when it's just there for the sake of star power, then it's unnecessary, right? When it's just 10 minutes in one episode, forget it. If you're actually a character, we're all for it. Yeah, Paul Rudd is not playing Paul Rudd, by all accounts. It right. seems like when he leaves his dressing room at the end of the, the season, this one, you see he has a fictitious name, so he's going to be a character. My question is this, and, and I'm sure many people are thinking, how many more seasons can you do of this show? Because how many people are going to be murdered in the universe of these three characters? Because at the end <laughs> yeah. of season one, it's like, okay, there was a murder in their building. They're trying to solve it. And then you have kind of this murder associated with that murder and with that storyline trying to advance it. But this third murder around them seems very random. Yeah. And they're saying it's a year later, but okay. Sometimes it's too much of a good thing, right? Obviously, this yeah. is a critical success. And Hulu... I don't know, besides this, what really they have, right? Like, who No, it's the biggest hit they had by a mile. Like, everyone's watching this, and you're right. They don't have a lot of stock here as far as shows people are watching. Occasionally, they'll have a movie that'll hit, and you'll turn, like, oh, John Cena had a hit on Hulu. Well, not a hit, but John Cena has a new movie on Hulu. Let me go check it out. Stuff like that, right? But Keeping up with really the Kardashians? Yeah, I guess that's oh, true. Guy. Yeah, they have the Cody's Kardashians. But they're not going to want to let this go, and they're not going to want to artfully say kind of how, how what happened in The Good Place, right? Where The Good Place is like, we're doing four seasons, and then we're done, yeah. and the story's been told. It feels like after season three, and obviously none of us has seen season three, but after season three, you wonder how much further can this go before yeah. it's like, normal people don't have 80 people murdered around them. It just doesn't happen. It's going to get very repetitive. And if they right. do, they move. It, just, it, should, it should be only murders in adjacent buildings. It can't be in this one building. Only the, murders in this neighborhood. Okay, fine. By the way, Adnan, can I talk to you about Amy Ryan for a moment? Yes. Are you familiar with Amy Ryan? Obviously, you yeah. are. Steve Martin, love interest. She was great in Gone Baby Gone. And she was, of course, the murderer in season one. And I only knew her because I'm not, you know, a cinephile. I only knew her as 
you know, being Holly in the office before that. Right. Hmm. And then I was like, wow, Holly in the office, like this is a great role for her. And then she's in only murders in the building. And I started thinking it's not that common, right? When you have actresses or actors really catch on like in, in later in their life, not later in their life, because she's only, I think, in her mid 40s. But, no, but you're right. for rare. women, they don't, you don't get many good roles when you're in your late 40s. No question about that, particularly for women. I didn't know she was nominated for an Academy Award and two Tonys in her career because I only know wow. her from these two places. So she's a big time actress. And I had no idea just because she's played two great roles in like pop culturally relevant shows that I had no idea that she was so accomplished. Yeah, definitely more of a critical darling. You're right. She shows up and she gives the show a little bit of gravitas. She's like, oh, she's an actual actress. She's not just some comedian screwing around here. And you could see her scenes with Steve Martin were really well done. Even this year. Yeah, kind of just disturbing. He's falling in love with her and stuff. The fact that she's in prison. They found a way to kind of shoehorn her back into the show. And I don't think it's even closed off where we won't see her again in season three in a similar role that she had here in season two, where it's kind of checking in with her from prison. But yeah, she's been great on this show. I agree. Good shout out to Amy Ryan. Cody, do you watch the show or you don't watch the show? The yeah. funny thing is, I watched the first episode of season one. Liked it. I did. Not, but he, I, I just don't not know. enough to keep watching, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, you, you got to kind of... I thought of it was st- terrific. I'll never watch now it Now I know again. who the murderer is in season one now. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's not great because it was a twist. There's always, even season two, there's a bit of a twist at the end where you don't exactly see it coming. Basically, in every episode, they're kind of, the first The first season was great. In the first season, they actually did something which I had never seen before, Adnan, and maybe you it, have. because The you episode more, with the deaf character was 100%. unbelievable. 100%. So, Chris. Unbel- it's been the best episode of the entire show. I want to go back and watch that again. The entire episode, Chris, told through the, through the deaf character's eyes. So, no sound. Amazing. So, they have, the, the episodes basically go through where they have, like, like a prime suspect for that episode and they're essentially ruling them out and in a lot of times that story is being told through the character that they believe right. is the suspect right yeah and one of the characters is nathan lane's son which nathan lane also has been pretty good hasn't fantastic it's, it's kind of surprising because nathan lane usually steals the show and here his characters have been a bit more subdued right where he's more great he's call. playing the role of a, a supporting cast member and he's and he's just he's doing great at it so he, his son teddy is deaf and they tell a story through Teddy's eyes for one of the episodes. And almost the entire thing, you're, you have to read the subtitles because it's being told through yeah. like ASL, which is just an incredible episode. And I've never seen that done before. So you got to stick with it, Chris, because it, especially in season two, and they even kind of joked about it, where they have this super club of, of podcast listeners that follow their podcast and like, eh, this story's not really going anywhere. This season yeah. two has <laughs> kind of been a bust so far. And they're kind of making a joke because season two early on is kind of dragging like where is this going where is this going but it pays off if you stick with it in the end with the twists and turns that they have 30 minute episodes too which is great not an hour long you have 30 35 minute episodes so you can binge it pretty quickly if you want to and sometimes people how do you feel about that adnan the the idea of binging versus watching it out drawn out week to week i like it week to week especially a show like this because it's building up suspense and mystery if i if you binge this kind of a show you're losing that suspenseful aspect of it, having to wait six more days. What's going to happen next? Cara Delevingne, et cetera, that kind of stuff. So season one, I caught on late, like mid-season. I caught on four or five episodes in. So I binged the first four or five episodes. And then I was like, I need more. I need to see what's going to happen on the show. And they're only 10 episode seasons. But with this, with this show in particular, I do like the wait. I like waiting and looking forward to Tuesdays and finding out what's going to happen next on this show. Because you don't really have that anymore now, like in TV in particular. Now you can just watch everything all the way through. And in one weekend, you'd be done with two seasons of this show. That's how quickly you can watch them and how addicting the shows are. 
100%. The whole season's five hours. You can knock out five hours on a Saturday, five hours on a Sunday. You need to watch all of Only Murders in the Building. September 12th is the Emmy Awards. How great a moment will it be? Best Actor nominees. I think Sudeikis is going to win. Heavy favorite for Ted Lasso. But if Martin Short or Steve Martin oh. wins, it'd be amazing. I'd be so happy. It would happy. be incredible. Yeah, What's the oldest winner ever? They're probably not anywhere close to question. it. Because who uh, would you who would you get who would you give like best actor to in terms of nominations and who would you give the supporting role to? Like, would you put the lead as Martin Short or would you put the lead as Steve Martin? I feel like Martin is technically the lead, and then Short's like supporting actor. But they're almost like co-leads, which is why they're both nominated for best actor. But oh, course, are they both nominated? Kill, they're both up for wow. best actor, but that always kills their chance. They're going head to head. I was going to ask harder. you about that if you think that they're going to kind of take away each other's votes. Were you guys wondering oldest winner of a Golden Globe? Yeah, Emmy Awards. It's Henry Fonda, seventy-six years old. Mm. But that's cool. Can you look up Emmy? Well, it's fine. We can Emmy, look my up bad. Yeah. Time. That doesn't that's matter. Yeah. <laughs> was Selena nominated or no? No, they're like she's terrible. She's a, the show. <laughs> oh, the show God. got the thing, Phil, Philly. The show got seventeen nominations. Like everybody got nominated except for Selena. Did Gomez. Bunny get like, nominated yeah, for something? <laughs> Norman <laughs> Lear got nominated. Norman Lear, ninety-seven years old. Norman Lear, that's unbelievable. He won an Emmy at 97 <laughs> years old? For what? Uh, it might have been a, a I, Lifetime Achievement. Thing. I'm Let not me even going to get Lifetime Achievement. Yeah, it has to be. It's, it's he became oldest winner. That's what I'm the headline gonna, says. I'm not going to make it to 97, so that's just incredible. <laughs> None of us are. No. Uh, no spoiler alerts there. Only Murders in the Building. You can check it out on Hulu. Great stuff from Billy is always contributing. And of course, as Marlon's talking, you can always follow his fandom on social media. I appreciate the time, Billy. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, thanks once again to Billy. A couple of reviews here for you. Namrata Joshi of the National Herald, which is out in India. Complications get more confounding in the second season of Only Murders in the Building, but there's still a wonderful wholesomeness and fun to the crime and investigations. And caffeinated Clint of Movie Hole. <laughs> I don't know I where just, the hell. I just want movie hole. I, that, that, that would sound made up by Cody, but okay, sure. Uh, one I of the should more, every once in a while just completely make up a review. <laughs> just making up blurbs here. One of the more unique comedies on the box, meticulously crafted. A couple old movies here for you, and then we'll wrap things up with our wildcard best beach movies. I watched The Long Hot Summer, inspired by Ethan Hawke's The Last Movie Stars. He raved about this movie, so I watched it. Accused barn burner and con man Ben Quick arrives in a small Mississippi town and quickly ingratiates himself with its richest family, the Varners. Uh, it's written actually by William Faulkner. That's right. Legendary novelist based on his novella, Spotted Horses. The screenplay is by Irving Ravage and Harry Frank Jr. is directed by Martin Ritt. So it's very rare to be able to adapt Faulkner's work and do it particularly well. In one of the conversations I had with our boss, John Skipper, I said, you know, John, you're such a learned man. You're from North Carolina. You've got to explain to me the appeal of Faulkner. He's this legendary writer from the South. And I said, I read Light in August in my first year of college, and I think it's, it's sensational. But I mean, I cannot get through some of his other work. It's just so long and so dense and John said well I'm happy to discuss Faulkner with you sometime so it was good to watch The Long Hot Summer which is adapting some Faulkner short stories and 
it's worth it just to watch it for the charisma of Paul Newman seeing him and Joanne Woodward together. Newman is just, I mean, at that time, just impossibly handsome. You watch him like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy wasn't a movie star when he came right out of the womb. And him and Woodward together have real chemistry. You know, she is resisting his advances. Orson Welles is a real hoot. I, I was stunned Orson Welles is in this movie. He plays Will Varner. Citizen Kane himself shows up. He plays Joanne Woodward's father. And Newman is kind of this ne'er-do-well. He shows up. That's not just an expression, barn burner. You hear that in sports. Uh, you know, that game was a real barn burner. This guy actually is a barn burner. Paul Newman's character, he's known for perhaps setting fire to barns. Maybe he's a pyromaniac. Maybe it's just what his father used to do. But regardless, this is the uh, perception and reputation he brings to town. But Wells likes him because he likes his work ethic. He likes the fact that he thinks he can rely on him. So he says, okay, let's, let's get in cahoots together. How about an arranged marriage? How about you get together with my daughter, Clara Warner, Joanne Woodward, let's make this happen. Then from there, the story unspools. You also have Lee Remick showing up. She's terrific. Uh, as you're playing Eula Varner, uh, she was really good in Days of Wine and Roses with Jack Lemon, Lemon Plague, an alcoholic, as is she in that movie. If you like your old films, check that one out as well. But I enjoyed The Long Hot Summer. As summer is winding up here, I thought it was an apropos title, The Long Hot Summer. I'm giving it three Maple Leafs. The ending is a little bit ridiculous. At one point, Wells, uh, you know, he's trying to deny who actually set fire to his barn, and he ends up being very jovial, and it just seems a little bit absurd. Something else absurd about the film, one part, Paul Newman is eating a watermelon, and he cuts off probably the biggest slice of watermelon I've ever seen in my life. He hands it to Joanne Woodward, and I said, there's no way any woman, any person, I love watermelon. I'll eat watermelon every day of the week, but he, he you, you got to see the movie just for this scene. He hands her, it's got to be like half a watermelon. Do you want a slice? Uh, I think I'm okay, Paul. I'm not going to eat half a watermelon, especially in front of you. The uh, Long Hot Summer is available, by the way, on... HBO Max. How do you feel about watermelon seeds? Like, are we just hey, powering through? I'll power through, but I don't like it. Growing up, I was told that, like, the black seeds, like, the white seeds are fine. The black white seeds, seeds, you don't digest. I, I remember that was the thing. I don't I think yes. I'm pretty sure it can't be true. It's got to be a myth. Like, mm. that, that you don't digest the black seeds. The well, black do you believe seeds stay in your body forever. But wouldn't that mean you'd be growing watermelon in your body? A hundred. With the amount of watermelon I have, my entire stomach would be either gum and seeds. Remember they say gum stays in your stomach for seven years. Like, yes, that's impossible. Gum. Like gum Those... is just on the underlining of my stomach. <laughs> Which was more bullshit? That gum <laughs> or that you have to wait 30 minutes before going in the pool after eating? Which of those 30, was the, the most bullshit? The pool bullshit? was awful. Like, that was so ridiculous. Like, well, you could just jump in as soon as you know. No, you got to wait 30 minutes. That digestive <laughs> system screws it. Come on, get out of here. Nonsense. <laughs> I love that, though. Black seeds are bad. The white seeds are fine with watermelon. But it, but as, as Seinfeld once said, he goes, he goes, think of all the things we're doing in our lives. We're trying to cure cancer. But the fact we got seedless watermelon, like yes. that's like, hey, we figured it out. We cracked the code. We got seedless watermelon. And grapes too, right? Don't grapes yeah. come with seeds in them? Because sometimes I remember one time, have you ever bought grapes on accident with seeds in them? Uh, so it's like, I'm just eating a grape and it's like, whoa. And then I started thinking, how do they get all the seeds out of the other ones? This is yeah, weird. I, I completely agree. A, a seedless grape is something to be treasured because if you get grape, it, oh, it's bad. Oh. All right, one more old movie, The Goodbye Girl. After being dumped by her live-in boyfriend, an unemployed dancer and her 10-year-old daughter are reluctantly forced to live with a struggling off-Broadway actor. This is how seriously I take my reputation as a cinephile. I was working for NBC earlier this year, and our stage director, Cindy, made a reference to Richard Dreyfuss in The Goodbye Girl. Like She made a comment, and she goes, oh, I remember when Richard Dreyfuss says that in The Goodbye Girl. And I had to nod along, and I go, no, I'm such an imposter. So six months later, it bothered me so much, I finally watched The Goodbye Girl. Like If someone makes a reference to Fast and Furious 4, I go, okay, I'm not supposed to know that. That's okay. Yeah. But like Richard Dreyfuss won an Academy Award for The Goodbye Girl. It's written by Neil Simon. I should know those things. I'm going to go watch this movie. So <laughs> I spent an hour 40 watching this movie written by Neil Simon, directed by Herbert Ross. And Richard Dreyfuss is fantastic. I mean, what a career for Richard Dreyfuss. If I mentioned Richard Dreyfuss to someone like 
Cody, I would think you think of what about Bob? You think he's great in that movie, Bill Murray. Uh-huh. Although he, he says he didn't like making the movie at all. He said Bill Murray was a drunk and he was a bully. He said at night he would get drunk and bullying drunk. But it actually worked for the movie because Dreyfus is this uptight shrink. What's the horse betting one with Richard Dreyfus? That's my favorite Richard Dreyfus movie. Uh, I don't uh, know what it, it. Let, let it. Let, I'm gonna think of it. Like, <laughs> let it ride. Let it ride. <laughs> let it ride. Let it ride. Okay, that's your, that's your Richard. Dreyfuss. Great movie. If you if you like horse betting or in gambling at all, let it ride. Yeah. Great movie. Okay, let it ride someone to go. Like, I think if I say Richard Dreyfus to, you know, anyone under the age of four, they know who he is, but I don't think he'd be locked Let in. Let me make sure it was Richard Dreyfus. Okay, you go ahead and look that up. In the meantime, uh, he did win an Academy Award for The Goodbye Girl at the age of just 30, and he is fantastic in the movie. It's clearly based in a play. It makes me think of what my friend Michael Lombardi, we used to do the GM Shuffle together, and continue to support that podcast. Mike is the best. I nailed it. But we were talking. Let it ride? Yeah. We have confirmation. <laughs> um, Mike said to me when we were doing the GM Shuffle together, he said, you know, Neil Simon, the great playwright, once said, you have to be interesting enough that people still want to listen to you in the third act. And I said, it's a great point. When you're watching a play, the first act, you cannot feel like I've already figured out these characters. I know what their interests are, what their likes are, what their dislikes are, where they're going to go. You have to be revealing and being interesting. And that's really longevity of a show. And it's interesting when watching this movie, I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, Neil Simon is really good at making characters who are kind of evolving. Um, Elliot Garfield is Dreyfus character he shows up at this woman's house he's there to it's marcia mason plays paula mcfadden she just got dumped and he shows up because he's sublet the place from her ex and he's in the rain he's you know come from a payphone. he's like hey can i come it's, it's you know it's my place she goes, no you can't come in it's my place i don't know what my ex did like get out of here whatever he ends up negotiating and finagling his way into the apartment but then in a really good twist he ends up being the one who's subservient and begging to kind of being the one in charge. He's like, well, it's technically my place. I sub it. I'm letting you stay here, et cetera. And you got this whole uh, battle of wills between the two of them. The dialogue is fantastic from Neil Simon. And Dreyfus is very good. I mean, his, his career after this, it's interesting. He does Jaws in 75. I think he was 28. He wins an Academy Award for The Goodbye Girl, where he's funny and charming, romantic and tender. Even though he's like a 5'6 guy. At one point, he even makes a joke with the fact. He's like, oh, I'm short on stature, but I'm long on ingenuity. But then after that, the drugs came. If you Google Richard Dreyfus' bad behavior. Like, he was just coked out of his mind, I think, for much of the 80s. As a matter of fact, there was even a, a charge of sexual harassment at one point. I think a woman came out and said that he exposed himself to her. He denies it. He, he's definitely had some issues along the way. He's one of those actors. Like, hey, Academy Award winner, definitely a talent. You think of Mr. Holland's opus, amazing. Academy Award nominated, that was 1995. So that was 18 years in between nominations from The Goodbye Girl, which he won, and the Mr. Holland's opus. That's one of the best inspirational teacher movies. But a guy clearly with a dark side. May have, by the way, that is story he said he if you read between the lines he says it was consensual behavior so if he exposed himself she wanted it or that was what was going on but the cocaine he definitely admits to yes i was out of control of the cocaine it was definitely taking over my life but regardless the goodbye girl is dreyfus at his best he's inventive he's energetic he's funny marcia mason don't know what happened to her as an actress she plays the co-lead in the movie i haven't seen her anything else but she's very good as far as battling wits and of course the daughter is very cute as well that's uh, quinn cummings playing lucy mcfadden a couple of reviews here from uh, the goodbye girl dreyfus is great but the movie has not held up well that's neil minnow uh, mike massey gone with the twins exceptional funny, buoyed by keen scripting, light slapstick, and joyous performances. And then Grace Jones of Spare Rib. How about this review? The film begins with a veneer of sympathy for the plight of the deserted woman, but soon embraces a plot which is romantic, male-dominated, and has a happy ending. Basically implying all those three things are bad. Like I, I get the male dominated part, but what's wrong with being romantic and having a happy ending? Like that's kind of what the movie is. You mentioned it was a blind spot for you. You hadn't seen the Goodbye Girl. You felt embarrassed, yeah. ashamed when someone referenced it. What is the most famous or highly acclaimed movie that you haven't seen yet? Like what's like Sound of you, Music. 
I just I, don't, I have no interest in sitting through I the kind of need. I'm, I think maybe maybe for a later episode, or maybe you could rattle a couple off now. Like Adnan's top five movies he hasn't seen would be kind of interesting. Because sound like, of music, singing in the rain, I've never seen. Like musicals are tough for me. I'm like I don't okay. know how I'm going to get through those. But those are two right. off the top of my head. Those okay. are two pretty That's big good. Maybe, ones. Maybe we'll trickle them out as the weeks go by. Well, the five that I haven't seen. We had the five for Fall of the Gate. Five the five blind spots. Perhaps later in the show. There you go. Um, also, the long hot summer. I want to get this review from Clyde Gilmore, McLean's Magazine, based on three stories by William Faulkner. This is a robust an enjoyable comedy drama about life in a deep south town dominated by a rascally old millionaire played by Orson Welles. Again, Orson Welles, definitely a real treat to watch in the long, hot summer, along with Newman and Woodward. All right, we wanted to recap here. As I said, the, the, the summer is winding down here. For many of us here on the East Coast, uh, school begins next week, the day after Labor Day. So it's your final last gasp of the beach. Best beach movies. We go all the way back. Now, there's some easy ones here, of course, Cody. You could throw out Baywatch, of course. You know, Moana, kids' movie. How about Weekend at Bernie's? Just the idea of a couple guys carrying around a dead guy the entire yes, time. Yes, I have that one on. Wait, wait, you have Baywatch as a good beach movie? No, no, I'm just throwing out lists of them, and I'm going to give you okay. the good ones. So ones like, that come that to mind. Baywatch, was, Baywatch yeah. with The Rock was, like, really terrible, right? Yeah, that, that's a huge miss. Although Priyanka yeah. Chopra, fantastic. Uh, Moana, kids, wait, Weekend at Bernie's, though, fantastic. Because I think yes. of a beach movie, I think of a dead guy carrying around a dead guy. I'm in <laughs> on that. Um, another one, of course, the easy one, of course, is Jaws. I mean, the yeah. ultimate beach movie. It terrified yeah. people of going to the beach. 1975 film starring Richard Dreyfuss. We're talking, of course, Dreyfuss earlier here on this podcast. Now, this is where it gets a little wacky. You're going to go, uh, actually, I'll give, you, I'll give you the one that I know you like a lot. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. Okay? I have a that's top it. three. That, that's in my top three. That one, 50 First Dates. And Castaway. Those are my three top beach movies. Okay. Well, we are speaking away on the same language. Castaway, fantastic. Just the fact that the guy is so nuts, he's talking to a volleyball. Wilson! Yeah. I mean, I just I just love what he does the fire scene, too. Because I, I have made fire. I've made fire. Like, so that's just, that is just Hank's. Because, like, like, the the line there that's written is just, I've made fire. But him right. just like, I yeah. have made fire. Fire! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that movie is so great, Robert Zemeckis, because a lot of it unfolds like a silent movie. Like the first third is got that great action, which you know Zemeckis brings. We've talked about Flight before, but then it's a very quiet interior movie. Like it's incredible how powerful him, Hank's like, acting is. Like breaking coconuts and creating oh, yeah. fire. Just the scene where he's just like, yeah, yeah, digging away. Imagine how much digging. And then he gets take. that little, that little poof of smoke. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then especially when you realize, like, he's lost his mind. Like, it goes from that scene to then, like, you know, how many months and years later, and now he's stick skinny, he's freaking harpooning fish, he's standing aboard a surfboard, like, oh, my God, okay, like, his hair is down to his ass. You're like, wow, this guy has lost his mind now. <laughs> how does that, that must be, God, that would be such a terrible spot for, like, a, a widow. Oh, you know, like like to like like six years later, it's just like yeah. you gotta go back to him, right? Like, yeah, don't you? Or maybe you don't. I, I don't. Maybe know. you don't. It's been too long. But I love this scene where he goes back. He goes, "Let me get this straight." He goes, "The Titans are now in Tennessee." <laughs> <laughs> it's like you should see they won the Super Bowl. It's so good. Uh, Helen Hunt. I mean, it's a really powerful movie, especially the ending. I know some people find it a little bit maudlin. The ending is a little over some. I'm with you. They don't actually get together, so it's not actually that sentimental. She runs out to him, and you yeah. think they're going to make out in the rain, and this is it. But then she goes, I got to go. And he goes, You have a family. She's like, Yeah. And then that's it. It's Oof. crossroads of life. It's sad. Um, okay, beach movie. It's, again, you're not going to think of a beach movie, but they're storming a beach. And the first <laughs> scene everyone talks about because it's so powerful. It's one of the greatest war movies of all time Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, that is a great beach scene. Okay, really so the, think that beats you. Look at the first 30 minutes, everyone goes, oh my God, that's one of the greatest scenes ever in a war movie. Boom, Saving Private Ryan. So, so far, our beach movies, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Saving Private Ryan, Jaws, Weekend at Bernie's, 
Castaway. I threw Fifty Moana first dates, not for you. And Fifty first, I'm not going to include. I'm going to include <laughs> the way way back, which is with Sam Rockwell. Terrific performance, but that's kind of like a summer camp movie. Kid goes to summer camp, and Rockwell's great in it. The Descendants with George Clooney. Again, not only a beach movie, but it takes place in Hawaii. Now I'm definitely stretching. If you really want to go off the grid, Dirty Grandpa. De Niro, uh-huh. Zach Efron, they wind up at a beach at the end. He's got a shirt off. He's partying yep. away a bit of a rave. That's good. Um, talented Mr. Ripley. I mean, there's water involved. Mm-hmm. That's probably too much of a reach. And The Impossible, which is a fantastic film starring Naomi Watts, in which a tsunami engulfs them. So when you think of beach movie, you want like a fun beach movie. But I'm telling you, there's some intense, dark films as well involving water, involving beaches. And The Impossible is one of those. I'll add 50 first dates to my list of movies that I have to see. I've never, You've never seen it? Oh, classic. Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore. Oh, classic. classic. Drew, by the way, the Drew Barrymore show, I know a guy who works at MLB Network. He's actually going to be like, uh, I think he's like a, a TD or a director on the show. He just met Drew Barrymore. I go, how is she? Goes, she was great. She was, she's got great energy about her. I go, how old she is Drew Barrymore? She seems like she'd be nice. Yeah. I go, how old is Drew Barrymore? I got to be 50. He's like 47. Remember an ET, little girl? Really cool. Anyways, 51st Dates, one of Drew's best. You can go catch the Drew Barrymore show. I'm sure available <laughs> in syndication. Uh, thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. Uh, you can always follow us on social media. Lots more coming up next week. Uh, I don't know what's actually coming up next week. We're going to mix it. Uh, you know what? Claire Atkins. Surprise. Claire Atkins is coming surprise week? Oh. Okay, surprise week. I, uh, Ooh, I up in the air with Claire. Up in the air with Claire is making a return next week. There Let's you go. go. There's your Labor Day Cinephile. I'll see you at the movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.